Well, amidst all the noise, speculation, rumors, and lack of a media rights deal, Oregon and Washington have been kind of noticeably quiet, and I think I know why. Locked on Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pack 12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. If you're watching on YouTube, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date, up to date with our media rights free and yet beloved Conference of Champions. If you haven't, please like, comment, subscribe, rate, review wherever you listen to or watch this show. So, Over the last several months, there's been all sorts of talk and speculation about this school and that school. And we've heard from this president and that president. We've heard from this AD and that AD and all these people. And yet the two programs that I think we all universally agree, at least I think that we all agree, it's certainly what I believe, are the most important for the league going forward from a football standpoint and therefore from a media rights standpoint because that's you know 85% of the media rights valuation when calculating all this sort of stuff. The two most important schools are Oregon and Washington. Those are the most viewed schools remaining. Those are the biggest brands. Those are the only Pac-12 schools to ever make the college football playoff. And amidst all of this talk, And everything we've heard, remember, Utah Athletic Director within the last month, Arizona State President, Arizona President was talking about him on yesterday's show. We've heard the Washington State and Oregon State Presidents go on the record, say this sort of stuff. You notice how Oregon and Washington have been oddly quiet on that front? The reason I am led to believe just in my mind processing the information, which is kind of how we get a show here and whatnot, is that Oregon and Washington are telling us without telling us that yes, they would indeed take a Big Ten offer. But by not being so on the fence, right, you know, up against, um, up against, you know, media reporters, microphones or anything of that sorts and, you know, really proclaiming their commitment to the Pac-12. You know, they've they've put out some loose general statements and they were on that statement of 10 conference presidents, you know, of the 10 remaining schools that they're committed to, you know, building the best media deal they can and keeping the lead together and keeping things solid and whatnot. But individually, have you heard Washington's athletic director or Oregon's athletic director or the presidents of either Oregon just hired a new president, so it's a little bit different there. But have you heard them, you know, on the front line, so to speak, lobbying for the conference, talking about how great things are and how great they can be and how confident they feel in George Klyavkov? The answer to that has been no, because they've got an eye on the future. And they are probably operating in a space which is what we're all kind of operating in. We don't know what the future is going to hold. Now, I have said before here on the show that the Big Ten right now is not looking to expand because they are not. That is a very clear directive from the Big Ten presidents. It's why they and Kevin Warren decided to part ways after just a few years. 
Warren wanted more. Big Ten presidents said, nope, we're good. Warren said, okay, I'm going to go take this job with the Chicago Bears. My work here is done. Enjoy USC and UCLA. So that being said, Oregon and Washington, if their long-term goal is to end up in the Big Ten, giving them financial security, giving them you know assured relevance, not having to worry about the conference that you're in, you're in a very strong conference, all the benefits that that could provide. What Oregon and Washington, I think, are doing by remaining silent here is allowing themselves to adapt to the landscape that may change in front of them. Because right now, the Big Ten's not expanding. It looks like they won't do that next year either. But how much can change in two years? Were USC and UCLA on the cusp of leaving in 2019, or rather in 2020? Well, no, they were more focused on trying to operate their universities in the midst of a once-in-a-century global pandemic. And then two years later, they're out of there. Nobody was talking about that two years ago. So I think what Oregon and Washington are doing is strategic silence. I believe them in in the sense that, you know, they put their names on the statement to say, we want to be in the Pac-12. And right now they might want to be. But I think what they're doing is avoiding the potential of a, you know, PR fiasco where people are hurling verbal grenades at you and they don't like you and this, that, and the other thing by staying quiet because they then kind of give themselves cover in a sense if something changes and they are able to make a realignment move that they feel is in their own best interests, whether or not that's in the best interests of the Pac-12 is a different conversation because they're going to operate independently and whatever they do, they're going to do together. Like Oregon and Washington have been historically tied. They're of course right next to each other geographically. I really can't see one moving now or in the future without the other. Like they would probably be a package deal. And there are a number of reasons for that. And I think that's how other conferences like the Big Ten potentially one day would see it as well. But I think they're just kind of letting things play out right now. And it's it's notable that Oregon and Washington, now Cal and Stanford have been kind of quiet too. I'm sure they would love to go to the Big Ten. But that, that would then depend on how much the Big Ten presidents value athletics. Because not in a good space right now. But as I've said for a long time, academics are worth more money to these universities by a lot than athletics. Doesn't mean they don't care. Doesn't mean they ignore the sports at their schools. But it's worth quite a bit more. So I don't think they're as likely or as eager necessarily to move. But Oregon, the Bay Area schools, that is, Stanford and Cal, but Oregon and Washington, I, I think are just kind of sitting back just to just to see. Just let it play out. See what happens. See if anything could change. See if there's a hint. See if there's this. See if there's that. You never know what can change. And look, I, I don't even know what their next move would be. I, I don't know what they could do, you know, on their own end, because stuff would have to be initiated on the other side of that conversation, as I've said. Oregon and Washington can't just go to the Big Ten anytime they want. They'd have to be wanted by the Big Ten. But anyway, that's why I think they're staying uh, silent right now. Real quick, San Diego State lost in the championship game last night. That is not sarcastic. That is a round of applause for a heck of a season from San Diego State. UConn was just the better team. They were really good. They had a lot of shooting. They had length, athleticism, speed. They were well coached. I mean, 
That was a great team. UConn was just a buzzsaw there for San Diego State, who surprised everybody this year. There were a lot of people who wanted to pick San Diego State to lose in the first round of that tournament. But guess what? They went to the national championship game instead. Congrats to the Aztecs. Does not at all change the calculus of whether or not they should be added to the Pac-12 for membership. I do think, you know, especially if they lost the championship game, if you want to capture some of that momentum, you kind of sort of got to do it sooner rather than later. But Pac-12 presidents meet again in less than a week. Are we going to have a deal by then? My guess is probably not at the rate that uh, we've been progressing. But we saw some statements from uh, President Robbins earlier, and he had a quote a few weeks ago that may play into the timing here of how this could all play out. I will tell you how after I tell you about Built Bars, which are fantastic, by the way. They're covered in 100% real chocolate. They've got a bunch of great flavors. They've got churro. They've got peanut butter brownie. They've got mint brownie. They've got everything that you could possibly need. And the Built March Madness Bracket ended in March, but guess what? You could still go on there, vote for your favorite bar, and people who did were able to get into a drawing for a free box of Built, and they're fantastic. You can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. Do whatever you want to do in terms of where you use them. I use them on the golf course. You could do workout. You could do hikes. You could do jogs. You could do runs. You could do whatever you want. So go to your local Walmart or Sam's Club and get your next order of Built Bars today. All right, question came in. I love getting questions from all of you. Uh, Many of you have fantastic thoughts, great questions, and I love it. YouTube comments, Twitter at smalls underscore 55 or at LO underscore pack 12. This is from 1870 GC. Is that like 1870, you know, if BC is before Christ, is that like gone Christ? I don't know. Anyway, uh, it could be anything. Uh, Spencer, I very much appreciate your balanced commentary and analysis of UA President's comments. I do my best. Lots of media cherry pick his comments to support their stance, depending on if they are pro Pac-12 or Big 12. I would like to hear what you think of his March 16th statement. We've got to have a deal before we think about expansion. Yeah, I, I don't quite understand that one. Because the Big 12 announced... Correct me if I'm wrong here. Pretty sure they announced expansion, and then they announced the deal. And, and and I'm not sure how, from a media valuation standpoint, when you're talking to network executives, how you could go into those discussions without having a firm, crisp, clear idea of who the expansion teams are going to be. Because depending on which schools you're actually able to add, it might change the valuation of your deal. So the Big 12, for instance, added UCF, Houston, BYU, and Cincinnati. Now, UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston don't move the needle a ton. They're good additions. They're great G5 additions, especially from a football standpoint. Houston's great for basketball. UCF is good at basketball as well. Cincinnati's made a run before. But BYU is actually the kind of crown jewel of those four from a a media evaluation standpoint, they've got, I believe the largest television following. Like there, there's a lot of inherent power there. And 
Look, could San Diego State or SMU increase the value of the deal significantly? Probably not. But I talked about on a recent episode of the show, if you didn't hear it, that there was a former vice president of uh, Fox Sports who was a VP of programming and promotion and like all, all this sort of stuff, basically someone who negotiated these sorts of deals before and said, look, just the mere fact that SMU is in the state of Texas could you know tick the value of the deal up a little bit, not a lot, but adding SMU is a fine idea because retransmission fees might you know get them up a little bit more. Again, not a ton. It's not groundbreaking, and they don't draw insane viewership at this point in time while they compete in the American Conference. But they go to the Pac-12. Think about the ceiling there. But that combined with you know adding San Diego State, recovering at least part of the Southern California market that. That was lost when USC and UCLA announced they were going to the Big Ten. I, I can't see how those conversations can take place with a theoretical idea. You know, how could you actually, as a network executive, whether it's Amazon, Apple, ESPN, whoever, how could you make an offer and say, we'll offer you X amount of hundreds of millions of dollars if you don't know everyone that's going to be there? Like, un- unless, I, I suppose the only way is if. Media executives say, look, regardless of market, regardless of location, which even as I say it aloud, aloud sounds a bit iffy at best, regardless of any of that, unless you're adding, adding Power 5 schools, we don't view your conference as any more or less valuable. We have to look at what we have, which is Oregon and Washington, Bay Area schools, Utah, Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, and say that's what's going to make up the value in the deal, Oregon State, Washington State as well. That's what, you know, we're we're kind of bidding for. And anybody else you add is fine with us. Now, the other thing that that could be holding this up here, and this just popped into my head, as many a thoughts do, is could there be a disagreement of sorts or a differing of opinions about whether or not it's more valuable to add two or four teams? Because the reason you have to add at least two if you're the Pac-12, and I don't think you stay at 10, is you, you need to have a sufficient amount of content at some level, especially if you have a streaming partner involved. There's no other conference that's going to have you know 10 or fewer teams going forward. The Big 12 had that for a long time, but when they lost two and dropped down to eight, they said, okay, yeah, we want to get up to 12, right? They went somewhat for a volume play, and I think that that's the right approach. So I, I do wonder if one of the things they're discussing is, are we more valuable as a conference at 12 teams, 10 teams, or 14 teams? And maybe there's disagreement on that front, and that's dragging things on. I don't know. That's just kind of a speculative thought on uh, my part. But to answer your question, 1870 GC, like, we have to have a deal before we think about expansion. I I I can't imagine that's how George Klyovkov sees things. I think that's you know something that President Robbins might might have been thinking, the president of the University of Arizona, but I I don't know that it, that he's you know completely got like at the very least they have to happen simultaneously. I would think at this point because we're so late in the process. Like if if they announce San Diego State and SMU. And then we have to wait two more weeks for the media deal. I, I you know, wonder what they've been doing this this whole time at some level. But then again, <laughs> I I wonder what they've been doing this whole time already. So I don't know. But uh, love the question. Keep it coming. There's another one that's going to be on uh, tomorrow's show from uh, Teacher Joe, which I'm most excited to uh, answer. But wanted to wrap up today with uh, <laughs> with this question. So 
Bay Area basketball has had, mm, shall we say, a tough go of it on the men's side. Women's side, eh, they're fine. Stanford lost in the round of 32. That was a disappointment. They won a national championship in 2021. Tara Vanderveer is an awesome coach. But on the men's side, they've been, shall we say, struggling in Berkeley and Palo Alto. It has not been very good. Now, the question that I'm going to pose here that I'd encourage you to think about for all you Pac-12 basketball fans out there. Mark Madsen, former coach at Utah Valley, is now taking over at Cal. He's a Stanford grad. They opted not to part ways with Jared Hass and hire Madsen, but instead let Madsen go to their crosstown rival. That might come back to bite him one day if things don't get turned around. But the question that I'd ask you is, who do you think is going to win first and have the best chance to get to the NCAA tournament first? Jared Hass at Stanford or Mark Madsen at Cal? It's an interesting question, no? I thought so. And my initial reaction was, well, you know, Hass has uh, been there longer, might be able to attract players. And I thought, ah, uh, actually, no, I think it's Cal. I, I really do. Now, I could be personally biased here. I, I've spoken with, with Coach Madsen before from his time at Utah Valley. I think he's a great coach. I saw the team he put together. I'm really curious to see what transfers he could bring over to Cal with him. There were some good basketball players on that Utah Valley team this year. Aziz Bandego, the big shot blocker, rim protector, and a high flyer for dunks as well. Justin Harmon, really high IQ point guard. Like, they could have some interesting element, and we don't know what uh, what, what those guys are doing at this point in time. But <laughs> when I was thinking about, you know, who's going to get to the tournament first, I, I, I was looking at Jared Hass's record at Stanford. He He's won 20 games one time. One time in seven seasons. He had a 19-win season as well. But he's only made the postseason once. And that was getting to the second round of the NIT. Stanford as a basketball program hasn't made the big dance since 2014. Cal hasn't made it since 2016. And Cal, the last several years, has actually been able to bring in some decent players. I mean, Matt Bradley was just playing in the national championship game. He was once at Cal. Jalen Brown was once at Cal. He's played in the NBA Finals. Guy turned out to be pretty good. Who's the last great Stanford basketball player? I mean, Spencer Jones is a good player, but who who's the last great, notable, headline-making Stanford basketball player on the men's side? I, I know about Haley Jones and, and Cameron Brink on the women's side. Where's it been? So I look at Jared Hass and say, well, you know, guy going into his eighth year, which is insane, seventh or eighth year, I forget which, and you you might say on the surface, well, you know, this will be the year he puts it all together. He's got more experience. He's got this. Stanford had their first graduate transfer in program history on the team this year. They, they cannot add talent the way everybody else can. And we now have an extensive body of work with Jared Haas at the helm of Stanford men's basketball. And it's mediocre at best. So I look at Madsen at Cal, and I say, that's an unknown quantity. I don't know what he's going to be, though he could have the tools 
as a coach to succeed. But I know for certain what Jared Hass is at Stanford. Could they be better than they have been? Yeah. Maybe this year they put it all together. I mean, Dan Hurley just won a national championship. Stanford's not going to do that. But he did it in year seven, right? It can take time to turn a program around, even a great one like UConn. But Stanford has not been a historically great men's basketball program. They had some seasons long, long, long ago. But they, on the whole, have been average at best. And that's what Jared Hass has been. And I I don't have a strong inclination to feel that that's going to change at a place like Stanford where it's hard to add transfers. They don't have graduate transfers even. And that puts you at a deficit at some level. So you have to be so unbelievably good with the guys you do have. Madsen at Cal, yeah, there are some academic standards, but does it ever feel as stringent at Cal as it does at Stanford? Doesn't to me. Doesn't with the way the transfer portal works in football and basketball. Cal's got a greater ability, I think, to bring in some players. And there could be some pieces and tools. And I think Madsen is a really, really good basketball coach. When he got to Utah Valley, he went 12-19 and 19 in his first year. They just won a program record 28 games by the time he left. So he's familiar with turning a program around. And though Cal's resources compared to the rest of the Pac-12 are really, really low, it's still going to be more than what he had access to at Utah Valley, which is not a historically great program. They had a great run with Mark Pope, who's now the BYU head coach. They're off to the Big 12, but... And he's got some questions on his job security at the moment. But Madison is at Utah Valley. That, that's not that's not some cash-rich school. It's one of seven Division I programs in the state of Utah, which doesn't have that much in-state talent to begin with. Like He did an outstanding job there, which is why he was hired at Cal, because he took Utah Valley. He turned them into the best team in the league. I don't think you can do that at Cal when you've got Arizona, Oregon, you know, beyond 2023, you know, USC and UCLA in the interim, uh, of course, but Cal's not going to be close to contending in year one anyway because they have so much rebuilding to do. The portal does help uh, tremendously, though, if they can add a couple good players there. But you just look beyond. If San Diego State comes into the mix, I don't know that they could pass them necessarily, but there's a void. There's a giant void in Pac-12 basketball, and somebody's got to fill it. Somebody needs to fill it for the sake of the league so they can be more fun, more competitive, and you know, more relevant for me to talk about on, on the show consistently. But I, I, I would pick Mark Madsen to have a better chance at making the tournament before Jared Haas because Haas has had his opportunity. It's the same job. It's the same job that it was six years ago when he took over, and he, and he hasn't gotten there. I, I have no reason to believe that that would happen this year. Whereas with Madsen, I've seen him turn turn a place around and right the ship. Just food for thought. Appreciate everyone listening. See you next time. Hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.